Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It has been an incredible couple of weeks in Australian rugby with changes at board and management level. But perhaps even more significantly has been the pay deal with Australia's professional players to help save the game. All players were across those talks, none more than Wallaby captain Michael Hooper, who along with his fellow professionals has negotiated a deal to help the game survive the next few months of the COVID-19 crisis. This podcast was recorded before those talks and the later departure of Rugby Australia CEO Raylene Castle. This is the Playmakers Playbook. Hello, I'm Nick McArdle, host of the Playmakers Playbook. If you want to be a better leader in business, sport or the everyday, or if you simply love a good story, this podcast is for you. Michael Hooper made his Super Rugby debut at age 18 and became a Wallaby at 20. He says two years later at 22, he was still trying to work out who he was, his place in the world, what his values were. Well, that's pretty normal for a 22-year-old. Only difference was he'd just been made Wallaby captain. And not surprisingly, it took its toll. He is the biggest name in Australian rugby and arguably its best player at a time the game needs its leaders more than ever before. And here he is having a run now. And Willie Lyon. through! And Hooper! Oh, the first game. On debut, the 18-year-old, the former Manly Junior. Here goes some more up the centre. And he's got Hooper with him. They go to the line and Hooper scores. And he offloads to Hooper. Oh, oh and How did he get through there? Well, it's on the score sheet. Try to Michael Hooper. Hooper! Michael Hooper scores! Michael Hooper, thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. Now, you are renowned for what the commentators like to call your big engine. Um, you play more minutes than just about anyone in the game. Your fitness and durability, second to none. Uh, tell me, where does that work ethic come from <laughs> my dad's a hard worker but um my particularly from my mum's side they've always um given me the sort of um idea that hard work is a is a real commodity um and i've always believed that i've always been a hard worker when it came to my own footy um you know my fitness uh, stuff like that so i guess um you know always being around and always um i guess playing for the full amount of time that was on the field i know how long you played for when you're juniors whether it be you know 40 minutes or 60 minutes to get a bit older, but, um, you know, I, I always went for the whole game. Do you remember specifically what the first team was you captained? Uh, it would have had to have been Manly Roos or, or my school team at St. Pius. Yeah, one of the two. You know, I get, you get little glimpses of um, memories in my head of playing as a junior and, um, you know, I, I guess when I see photos, when I go around to my parents and they've got all my stuff, they all my 
um, all my footy memorabilia and everything like that I don't like having in my own house so they've got it all or for the time being they've got it all and you go around there and you see junior photos of playing footy and you, you that break, that you know that sparks some the sparks some memory who were the people back in those days who were you know really helping you along the way yeah I, I was very lucky mate like in terms of my childhood like um, you know growing up on the northern beaches is a pretty nice place to grow up you've got plenty of um, plenty of options you can do it all you can play cricket you can play footy you surf you surf life saving you do little athletics so you're doing it all my parents were awesome to give me that opportunity they're so selfless the fact that they just go go and do everything um, you know, I, I guess mentors in terms of terms of those years, sort of whole you know different range of people. Um, like I said, my parents very thankful for for what they give me. I had really a really good school coach for for many years, um, who was really good. He's still he's still probably there at the school. Who's that? Uh, his name was Mr. Paulak. He's a really good coach, and you know we had a really good crew um, of players and mates. So he was a good coach. I also had some really good coaches down at Manly. Manly's got um, a great tradition of rugby. My dad played there. My brother was playing there in the year above. So it was a good family thing for us growing up um, and had some really good coaches down there. What were some of the things that they taught you about leadership, those, those coaches, those mentors along the way that, uh, that you think might have helped set you up for later years? I wish I'd asked more questions, to be fair. Um, you know, I, I think... Yeah, there's not something specifically that stands out in my mind um, of, of feedback they would have given me at the time. You're just like a sponge at that age, right? You're just absorbing and seeing so much that you like from, um, from different people. And, you know, I guess growing up, I, I, I can't play basketball. I sucked at basketball at school. <laughs> I was in the C's. Is um, that a height thing or...? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I've never been. That's, that's the courtesy. I'm not, I don't thank my mum for that. She gave me some terrible height there. Um, but yeah, I can't shoot a hoop, um, to save my life. Um, but I really like Michael Jordan, right? So my image of like, I don't know why I just, I think every, every sort of, a lot of people like Michael Jordan, <laughs> just the, what he did on the field and the Nike thing and, um, was so cool to me. So, you know, I watched a lot of videos of him, um, and you know, he's, he looked just ferocious, like a ferocious competitor. So that was sort of my, it set up the image in my mind of maybe what someone, you know, in, in a position of, you know, leadership does. And, you know, I guess whether that's right or wrong, that was my perception of the time. You like, you sort of, you, um, you go to what you sort of like and you see. And um, certainly at the time growing up, and particularly to- towards the back end of my schooling, Loved that. Loved watching him. Um, loved watching videos, hearing stories about what a competitor was. And then, you know, similar to that, like a guy like George Gregan as well in, a, in our sport, um, you know, the sort of um, intensity he brought around a group uh, when, he was, when he was at his best and when he was doing his thing. Um, so there's certainly things that I, I looked at when I was young and I go, that's pretty cool. Just looking here at some of the quotes that Michael Jordan uh, gave over time, which, you know, you don't have to look too hard to... To find, I'm wondering if you've lent on any of those sorts of things. Things like, you know, obstacles don't have to stop you. If if you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or, or work around it. Talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. So there are little nuggets like that which you've picked up over the years, which you use. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't quote him directly, um, you know, but I, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me personally. 
Um, I, had, I had a book of his. It was called Driven From Within. Now, as I'm a very imi- like um, image based person, um, image learner and stuff like that. And he was, it's going to sound so stupid, it was a picture book, but it had <laughs> had really good passages in it. Um, Kobe Bryant has a similar one, but he's much more focused on um, his training and, and, and the game and basketball, you know, um, little things involved in basketball. Michael Jordan's was much bigger picture and I, that, that suited me to a T. Um, you know, so yeah, some of those quotes are, quotes are fantastic. I think my perception of definitely what I thought then and, and reading stuff about him certainly changed to now where, I've, um, you know, I think in my mind, my idea of leadership certainly changing. So let's go to that. So you're about to play, you've played 99 tests. So you're one game away from bringing up the ton, 46 as captain. Uh, I think only George Gregan, who you mentioned, and John Eels have captained more times for the Wallabies than you. You're still only 28. You were captain of the Wallabies for the first time at, at 22. Were you ready to be captain at, at 22 on that occasion? And now Michael Hooper, 22 years of age, the 82nd Wallaby captain. Was I ready to be captain? No. No, not at all. Um, I look back at myself at a 22 and what was a priority for me then is uh, completely different to what a priority for me or what I, what I think is important now, you know, that so, uh, six years, but that's such a critical part um, of your life. And you just learn so much in, um, in this space, in this rugby space, particularly at that high level, things are ever changing. One, one week um, and a result doesn't go well and any, any rugby footy player will, will tell you this and, um, you carry it for days and you're, you know, you're, the demons are circling around in your head of um, what you could have done different, what you could have done better, a mistake, did this have an effect? So you're constantly in analysis and um, I guess as athletes we're not good because we are hypercritical all the time. So we don't actually reward the stuff that is going well, we just focus on the stuff that's not going right and that just consumes you and particularly after a loss you're just consumed in these you know, um, pretty low points and it's hard, you know, and then you put the captaincy on top of you and then it starts to impact your, your own self-worth, um, you know, and feeling like you're doing anything right, um, you know. So it's really hard balance. And at 22, when you're still, uh, I'd say, quite fragile in that space, you're still trying to work out who you are, really, like, um, you know, where you fit, what's your, what's your sort of values and, um, you know, even though it's four years out of school, you're you're thrust into an environment that's um, full of thirty old guys and um, with families and kids, and you're you know still trying to catch up with your mates on a Saturday night after a game. That's crazy. You've just said four years out of school. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. That's that's ridiculous. Like it's not, in a sense, it's not really what a twenty-two-year-old should be doing, captaining your country. I know it's a great privilege, but you kind of think. For most twenty-two-year-olds, it's it's not what they really should be doing. No, you just. But the the thing is, with the footy world, you get so caught up in just your circle, and just your sort of what's going on immediately around you. Uh, you know, and that's I guess right in this point in time. You know, when we're doing this podcast with the, when something's affecting everyone, you realize how it's small and you know um, the bubble is that rugby rugby can become. But you know, rugby in that time, you. Things are, things are relatively normal because you're in it day to day and particularly as a Wallaby. Um, one of the great things has always been with rugby union, travel the world, right? But you are you're on top of it. You're like a traveling circus. You know, even when you're playing at home, you're not necessarily at home because you could be in Queensland. That's not home for me. 
or you're in Sydney and that's not home for a Queenslander, right? So, and then on top of that, um, not many other industries you would be rooming with someone for six months a year. So that's another dynamic on top of that. You're living on, you know, um, when I tell people that uh, we um, room with someone, you know, throughout the whole year um, and mind you that as a captain, one of the perks is sometimes yeah, <laughs> yes. you're not with um, a roommate, but that can also be a bad thing because like I talked about the demons that circle, you don't get someone to bounce your ideas off. Um, people go, oh, that's a real surprise that, you know, you're a, you could be a 32-year-old man with a family and you're rooming with a 21-year-old, which is a awesome, beautiful dynamic because it's, you know, you get to pass on so much knowledge and stories and stuff like that. But it also is, you know, it is very interesting that um, that's the way it is. And that's the way it is world over in rugby. And it's um, definitely a cool dynamic for sure. Um, I want to get back to the, the demons and how you've learned to cope with that. But first, your worst roomie. Over the stretch. <laughs> um, I'm pretty, yeah, I've, I've had some, um, Itavea was the worst snorer. <laughs> it was an awesome number eight, the Brums, um, early on in Canberra. He was, um, he was great. Um, I've had good roomies, mate, like Nick White, Nick Phipps, Bernard Foley. Bernard Foley's dirty. <laughs> He's dirty. Like, he would just fall asleep in training kit. Um, <laughs> um Fangs, Fangs, very like he's good. He'll keep the room nicely sorted. I had, um, and the problem my long term room partner was Rob Horn. So we we roomed together a lot, and um, he was he was sort of like a big brother for me, um, you know, keeping me keeping me on task, keeping me on point. So um, yeah, had some good ones. Nice. No, I can I can imagine Nick Phipps. He's very well groomed, mm. isn't he? Very very clean. Um, so those those demons that you talked about and and getting past that and understanding as a 22-year-old who you are while also uh, captaining your country. How did you move past that? Who, who helped you? What were some of the lessons that you, that you learned? Uh, some of the lessons? Um, experience. I think just experience and time, um, you know, because our generation is different and what um, through any sport that um, has gone on in the time that, you know, I guess I've been coming through has experienced the social media impact, um, and that's and that's big. There's no two ways about it. That is big. We've seen what's ha- what's some of the stuff that's happened there in cricket, and footy players are certainly um, you know not immune to any of that. So as a young person, you know, and I think the the way it changed was when I was going to school. There was like forums of um, you know you could get onto a rugby forum or a schoolboy. So that's where it sort of started, and then. As I got into professional, then it became very much your Instagram, Facebook stuff where everyone could have their say. It's like everyone's got your mobile number really, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And the more I know about it now, I look back and everyone would be able to test to this is you could have one great comment. Someone's just absolutely wrapped, thinks you have a great game, something like that. Uh, and then you could have, oh no, you could have 10 amazing ones, one bad one. That's what I want, the example. You could have 10 amazing ones, one bad one yet you will dwell on the one bad one. The 10, um, yeah, nice, put those in the pocket, but then they're almost in, in and out at the same time. The bad one, like I talked about the athletes being hypercritical, you sit on it and you dwell and you go, why does that person think that way? Why does that, per- that person, oh, you know, and then you question it. Um, so when you're young, you can imagine that, you know, you just want to be lo- sort of, you know, you want to be liked and you want people to think you're, you're doing a good job and then you get hit like that and then you can sometimes get hit like that a lot. And then, um, you know, uh, the way I dealt with it, I just deleted it. Uh, so I had it for quite a few years and it got to a point where, you know, I'm, uh, I've had some 
Um, I've been involved in teams where some, you know, certain big issues have come up within the environment and then you get people telling you how they think they should run on the outside and you go, well, you know, that's really tough to take. So I might just take that out of my life. So I did. And that was, that was very helpful. What about as, as a leader in the team or as the captain of the team, is it part of your responsibilities to also help perhaps the younger, less experienced players in that team to cope with that sort of stuff? Is that, is that an area of responsibility for you? Uh, yeah, I think it has to, it, it's become one. The way you deal with it's really hard though. Like you tell someone you can't look at your phone, um, they're just going to look at their phone. Um, or, you know, um, I think sometimes to a certain extent, yes, it's about educating and, and maybe having chats or going, you know, don't look at that stuff or, but probably go back to their room and, you know, or would, as all of us would go back to our room and would probably guys told it to me back in the day, I'd go back to my room, and look at it anyway. Because you do have this vacuum of time where you've got to fill. So oh, I'll fill it with looking at my phone and see what's going on. And you can get, as anyone will know, a deep into your phone of, you know, this person, that person, she said, he said. And um, so, yeah, you got to edu- you, you try and help. And I think, you know, having a team environment is so great because it's such um, so good to lean on your fellow players and your roommates. That's another positive thing about the roommate. Um, you know, you can lean on each other there. But you sort of have to experience it as well. Are you better now at uh, at letting those losses, those big moments that didn't go so well, are you better at letting them go now? No, not at all. You know, um, man, that's um, World Cup last year is going to live with me forever. You know, how, yeah, still, you know, this is the worst thing. You get knocked out in the quarterfinal, then you're sent home on the Monday. So you're sent home two days after you're knocked out of, um, you know, and as an athlete, you just prepare for it to go really well. You pre- you're setting yourself up, you're visualizing yourself getting to where you need to get to, and then it's stopped. And then it's like, okay, World Rugby get you out on the Monday because you can't be around there, um, which is very different from the last World Cup. You know, I had the whole experience, but this time out on the Monday, you're back home. You're back home on the, we were back home on like the Tuesday or Wednesday morning. And then you're just in that cycle that I was speaking about earlier. You're just taught thinking about, you're thinking about what you could have done different, thinking about, um, you know, you're, you're walking down the street with your, your, the head in the hoodie because you're, you know, not proud of how things went. Um, you wish they could have done better. You wish that people could have, um, you know, you could have given a, the country the result and it didn't happen. So then you had like three months of it because you're so long. You watch the semi-final and you you try not to, but you you do. And then you watch the final and you see the guys holding up the trophy and you're like, oh, you're just bummed out. And then it starts to cycle again, and um, then you start the new year, and that's good. That's when it goes. <laughs> that's when it goes. Yeah, and look where we are now. So maybe not so. Good yeah, again. maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get to that shortly. But um, what about the recriminations that um, that followed that World Cup exit and? Everybody was making a judgment on um, on Michael Checker, who eventually, you know, he resigned. Um, Raylene Castle was obviously under pressure as well out of the back of that World Cup. As the captain of the national team, um, how does that test your leadership? Oh, I think it's definitely one to have the microscope put over. Um, um, you know, check myself, uh, the leaders of that team, um, in a, you know, whole capacity and certainly a, you know, captain leading the team capacity and, you know, that's got to be looked into. That's got to be reviewed and 
Um, there were some things that were reviewed and um, that was that was made quite public around some of that stuff that the you know the the broader organization wanted to look at and um, you know they've been looked at um, and they're and working now to see okay what from that program firstly you know you don't want to just tear apart a program you look at stuff that goes okay that was nice that had some really good um, continuity there that's something that can actually be transferred across because you break it all up and then you're starting from scratch again so certainly we've got to move forward with some stuff that was nice and that's why you do a review like that so you you nitpick the stuff that was good take that away and then you go okay what can be done better what can be done better and then what's it going to take just to put that into the the good category and make make you know that that side you know if you have a scale the good side more outweigh the the positive and negative pros and cons and you've had a chance to think about it now um what what did you learn out of that world cup experience that might make you a better leader down the track you, you know if you were given that opportunity again which of course you you know you hope to be given that opportunity again in well three and a half years time now what will you do differently mm. um yeah i do a lot differently um i don't know how much i want to say um you know and, and how much is necessary to, to say you know i i am a big believer in um all the players and, and the staff included that have, have worked their way to get there have done a lot sacrificed a lot um and it's no it's no easy feat to to fall there I feel um, like some of that uh, should be precious, you know, around how much information you divulge around some of the the, the stuff inside that goes on. Um, and I'm not just trying to deflect. No, but, 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 <laughs> but, but give us a more general... Are you talking about uh, uh, dynamics within that environment? Are you talking about preparation? What what areas in particular oh, are you talking about? Oh, look, our mental prep, we are fit. We are ready to go. God, we were, we were fit. We had a camp up in New Caledonia that we got worked. And we worked hard and, um, you know, we uh, certainly were fit and ready to go. I think you look at some of our performances across the year and just being purely rugby, um, you know, analytical here is we got off to a good start. We really, really put the sword to a team. You know, you look at the the Argentina game, um, you know, up in Brisbane, the, the Perth game against the Kiwis, um, you know, it, it goes really. Some of those games in that year, they went really nice. And then you look at some games, like even the first game against South Africa, started quite well, but some big moments there. You get a yellow, you get a try that's disallowed, that's arguably could have gone either way. And you, and then we took hits, and we couldn't recover from those hits very well. So how our preparation would look different, um, you know, and how when things go against us, how we can bounce back and galvanise, as opposed to sort of fall apart a little bit not not fall apart i don't think we fell apart you know like hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We had some really good comebacks. Wales, um, Fiji, you know, our first two opening games, mm. but left a little little too late, particularly in that Wales game. Um, and it took us just longer to get back and galvanise than it we needed it to. 
All right. You mentioned a little earlier about playing in teams where big issues, big stories have happened. I want to take you back to last year and the Israel Folau saga. And as captain of both the Waratahs and the Wallabies, you were front and centre almost from the beginning of that uh, till the very end. How did that challenge you as a person, as a teammate of the guy who was at the heart of that storm, but also having to represent the rugby community? There were all sorts of pull and push factors here for you. How did you deal with all of that? Uh, not well, you know. It, dealt, it, was, it was a hard time. And it was a hard time for everyone, like everyone involved, um, no, ma- no matter what capacity, it was hard because it involved public. It was, it was a very, very big thing. So uh, a lot of phone calls, mate, a lot of phone calls, talking to people, um, you know, and, and then you, I talked earlier about, um, you know, understanding what you sort of what your values are and, and stuff like that back when you are a younger person. Yeah, I was a bit more squared away with that stuff, but down the track. So you've got to keep coming back to that sort of stuff. And that's what I had to do. That with speaking to other people, getting a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of clarity from, um, you know, people that you trust and um, you you sort of respect their opinion. And that and that's what I think all of us had to do. Did you grow as a leader through through that adversity? Oh, definitely. I mean, they're the times. You know, you don't want to have those times, but certainly. You know, for for all the guys that would have been involved, will be um will be better for you know dealing with some of that um, adversity going even even out of out of rugby because you have to really think about a lot of stuff. You know, like so that was usually you turn up, you play rugby, you throw the footy around, you go and have a laugh with your mates. This was something that was, you know, it reached a whole different level of community, um, a whole different level of people outside of rugby. It wasn't just a rugby thing; it was a broader broader issue and um. Yeah, I think uh, you've got to try and find some resolve in that, and, and a lot of guys did. And so that was publicly, and then behind the scenes, were you having to do some healing as as well, like not personally, but trying to bring parties together and trying to maintain cohesiveness within the teams you were playing in. I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, certainly there was an aspect of that, but it's yeah, you know, having conversations and um, tough conversations that you know, that you wouldn't have usually had. And that's, um, you know, that was different. That challenged because you're talking about something that is un- a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit sort of, um, you know, tough to deal with. It's not just how you go, mate. It's mm. um, where where do you want to go with this? Where do we stand on that? Um, how can we get through it? And um, had some great conversations though in saying that. Yeah, there's some really good, good people around, um, you know, in, in the whole environment, it was great. And you probably come out of the back of something like that where you're all clearer about your values as, as people and, and as a team, I'd imagine. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, so definitely some some good rose out of the, uh, you know, smoke there. At, um, you know, it's uh, that seems like <laughs> a, know, yeah, a right. long, long time ago now. Okay, in a more general sense, when have you really been challenged, your captaincy, I mean, really been challenged in a in a big game can you think of moments where you've thought hang on i'm on the edge as the as the leader of this team i'm really on the edge here um yeah i can i can certainly think of a couple uh, off the top of my head hey one one good thing about this time is you actually get to uh, see a lot of old games that have been played so that's now looking back at some of those i'm starting to try and work out what the hell i was thinking at that point but <laughs> in in uh, not too distant 
past, I guess. Um, certainly that Fiji game was a big one. So getting opening game of the World Cup, getting smacked a couple times, um, points and um, also physically, uh, how to get back in that game. So had to had to pull across some things there. And it was the year before that I think I learned a really good lesson. So we played Wales over in Wales at uh, Millennium. We lost 6-3 or 9-6. I think it was 9-6. And there was a decision there where we were, yeah, Bernard would have kicked it, we were like, uh, maybe 30 or closer in and, and just sort of to the maybe 20, 25 from the sideline. So a pretty regulation kick for a, a kicker of that sort of level. Um, and, you know, I, I think I learned at that point that maybe I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a gambler. Like I'm, I'm not a big on the punt or anything like that and pretty reserved in that aspect. But I sort of love it on the field, like the idea of getting seven points and putting it to a team um, or just banking three, getting back, getting the ball back. And um, myself and a couple others in the team were probably the same way <laughs> inclined. So I think this is, yeah, 2018 and it's three all or um, something and 50 minutes. And didn't went for the sideline. We throw the ball in, overcook it. It goes into the Welsh hands. They're five metres out, five metres out from their line. They do some play. I think they kicked ahead um, and got down to within the 25 out from our line off one or two phases, um, we give away a penalty, they go three ahead. And it's like, it was just, mm. in, re- in reflection, I go go into the change, um, you go into the press conference after the game and um, they asked me if it was good. And I was like, yeah, at the time it was good because I felt like it could have buried them and walked out and spoke to a certain few people and they're like, probably should have taken the three at that point. That was a that was a game of test rugby, you know. It wasn't going to be a run around high scorer. Uh, that was a, a, a test rugby game where it was just attrition to the end. Teams were just going to bunker down with defence. It was going to be penalties. Uh, and I didn't have the, you know, a year into my real Wallabies captaincy, um, I didn't have the foresight to see that. It's interesting because most, you know, most guys in their mid-20s, are more likely to roll the dice on a situation. Aren't they? There's a bit of bravado that, yeah, absolutely, that is part of the personality. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time ago, yeah. but I seem to remember. But in in many ways, in your role, particularly as as Wallaby captain, um, you kind of have to temper that a little bit, don't you? That that uh, that that sort of want to be. Uh, you know the mid the mid twenties. I'll I'll have a crack at this rather than the the conservative guy who knows or should know in the back of his head that that's that's the better option. Yeah, it's the bit of the the, the hero type call that you look to make. Um, you know, and that's where I sort of go back to the um, the Jordan stuff, where you have these images of these guys doing the buzzer beaters and all that stuff that maybe is a bit um, not the best image to have in your head, and having a real measured. Uh, approach is something that um, certainly out of that game was probably a real point in which I go, you know, that's a good learn for me. Um, and you put that lesson into practice against Fiji? I so, yeah, certainly think so. And then even even a game that we played at um, uh, SCG against Crusaders, it was it was all, almost the flip side though because we played them down at, um, played them at SCG um, and we were sort of having a so-so season so far the season ended up in um, 2019 ended up being a so-so season we we lost I think out of the seven or eight losses we had in a year only one loss was by more than seven 
So we just were there or thereabouts. We did, were probably lacking a try or two that we had the year before in the Tunkeli Naivoro or Israel Falau for the rest of the season, you know. And that was that was our that was our season. But this one Crusaders game that we had at the SCG spoke to Daryl before the game game and Daryl goes, um, he said, oh, maybe maybe this is one of the games that you look at the sideline instead of the the goals. So this is completely contradictory to eight months before. And he said, because maybe they they don't really expect it. He goes, make your call. It doesn't matter. It's no no either way it's for me. It's up to you. It's up to you, but <laughs> I'll just put that in your head. And I go, this is this just reeks of one of those post-match functions where you have the you have the decision to win the game and, and you take the wrong one. But it was but sure enough, 15 minutes into the game, um, it was like a kickable kick again, or goal goes sidelines, like, nah, let's go, go for it here. And sure enough, that caught him off guard a bit. And we we built and we grew as a team as the game went through and we got a great result and it was so rewarding. Have you enjoyed every game? as ca- And I'm not talking about, because clearly there's some results that you don't enjoy, but that responsibility, that expectation that you carry when you are the captain of a team, have you enjoyed that? Or has there been a time where you're just getting your backside handed to you, the, the referee doesn't want to know you, um, things aren't going well and you've thought to yourself, I just want to be a player. Oh, there's certainly times you'd think that way. Um, but I, it's not as rewarding as the other way around. So when you start a week and you've got a team, whatever team, and you come up with a plan at the start of the week and you go, okay, this is a plan that we think is going to beat them. This is the attitude we want to bring. This is how we're going to train it. This is what the message we're going to take into the game. We go into the game. You execute that plan. You sit back with the guys after and you go, yeah, that feels good. Just because it's it's not just 80 minutes of, um, you know, we, uh, we played better physical bash up, you know, all that sort of, certainly an element of that. It's rugby. It's a contact, fully contact sport. But to have a plan, to see it through and then even have to adjust throughout the game um, with your with your other guys who are pulling the strings. Um, it's awesome. I mean, for me, I, I, I this has, you know, definitely changed. And again, going back to the Jordan stuff is like you think a speech can just change the the way that an outcome would be. Certainly, early on in my uh, my thing, and I've learned that that's so far so far from the truth. And in so, terms of what behind uh, yeah, the behind yeah, the goals, I mean, or? no, well, yeah, certainly you get a you get a sh- it's like a sugar hit. So there's certainly a time for it, and some guys I've seen coaches and players are really great at it. Um, but it's still a sugar hit. Um, and then you could, you know, you get great two minutes and then they do something really good against you and you're back to where you just were two minutes before. It's uh, When you get into Saturday, the work's, the work's generally done and your playmakers and your play callers are, are, the, are the key. The captain actually just points the sticks, um, you know, and, and has done a lot of the work. I think this is where, you know, I, and I haven't been an overly successful captain, um, but certainly one that's, you know, looking to keep growing. And um, if I'm in that role and, um, you know, that it's it's such a broader thing than just maybe what I thought it was 10 years or when I was finishing school, you know. I think you're perceived as a look at me and follow me kind of captain. I, I don't imagine that you are that that big talker for, for a lot of the time. Do you, do you give speeches? Have, oh, you got, have you got better I've, at, I've, at that? I've tried my hand. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I'm Al Pacino in um, yeah, yeah, any yeah. given Eddie, Sunday. Any given Sunday, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. Um, you know, and his and his speech before the end has just the boys fizzing there. Um, 
but I wouldn't say them anything like that. Uh, but I've realised, no, it's about a consistent message. It's about a consistent message and that being delivered into the game. We're able to adapt to, I mean, the teams obviously that you're playing against trying to do something to beat you guys. They have a plan. So how you overcome that and ride what they're going to give you and then better it. Um, and that's and that's done with, you know, um, certainly a lot of important players in your team. Can you be one of the boys still uh, when you're captain? Uh, it's a hard one. That's... And that's the t- that is a tough thing with being a young captain. I think um, being one of the boys, it's um, particularly in footy. You know, um, it's such a big team. Um, so when you're young, you you want to be. You know, you're still you're trying to find where you fit, and then how you're trying to find where you fit is by being one of the boys, I guess, a little bit. And um, yeah, I I think it's just a balancing. Everyone can do it differently, though. This is the thing. I think there's not a clear cut answer. For anyone, I mean, Dave Dennis was an outstanding captain. I thought, no, I wouldn't. I would say he's definitely one of the boys, and he was an outstanding captain. And then there's other guys who, you know, a bit removed, um, but in their own right, are, are great because you you love what they do because that's them. So I think the real important thing is you know being yourself. Uh, and that's the most natural thing that'll that'll come out for the team. All right, being yourself. That's a that's a good segue into. Um, and it's important, I think, anyone listening to this, I want them to be able to take away some principles of leadership, if you like. What are your non-negotiables uh, in terms of leadership and, and captaincy? Uh, leadership and cap. Now, this is just, I want to, this will change for me in four years' time, I'm sure of it, because I'd say the first principle and why I say that is just just a complete growth mindset around this sort of stuff. Um I'd hate to think that I'm stagnant and I'd certainly think that for my first couple of years there, I had like a, a mindset of, you know, I guess cause I was young and not making excuses. This is the way it was. You go, Oh, you know, I'll just play it by ear and, and work it out on the run. Um, and then it hit a point where this, this stuff just ain't really giving the results. So I've got to start going a bit, in, bit more in depth into, into, you know, what what it could look like to be so just to have a growth mindset reading books um talking to people about it um has been the most valuable thing for me in certainly uh, the my hunger for that certainly increased probably at the end of 2017 going into 2018 i was just you know started reading some books like god i've missed out i missed a trick here what are the best books that you've read uh best books i've read um well, I can only think of the ones that I've read off the top of my head in, in the last little bit. One of the things that got me really interested, probably it was more around personal development, but was the Tim Ferriss book was The Tool of Time. So he just interviews everyone. Um, he does some know, great podcasts too, not he? Great yeah. podcasts. Um, interviews everyone and just pulls out little snippets for them. But that's more an individual thing from there. And that sort of goes, oh, geez, there's so much great knowledge out there. I'll read a bit more. And he does it in a quite a simple way. So that was one of them. But in recent times, I'm... Um, reading this um this book uh oh, i've just read shoe dog so the nike the guy that's uh, phil knight the guy that started um and that's just great like great anecdotes throughout like just pretty easy read about how he started nike and um that's a that i read that about a month or two ago turn the ship around's a good one that's um by a naval commander he took talks about a lot of the stuff that you know, around, um, you know, in a naval environment, how he changed the way his submarine was ran that was, you know, to the tune of a really cooperative, collaborative environment that everyone's bringing their best to the table and it's not a top-down as you would imagine the Navy to be and how they sort of change the mould in this. That's a really good one. 
Um, uh, and then just, you know, like a, a heap of other personal development books that I'm reading as well at the moment. But um, I sort of have a couple on the go um, and it's, it's great. All right, so that's personal development. What are the non-negotiables for the teams you lead? What I think is really important is you've got to have or you've got to have a common goal that everyone knows what they can bring to it. And once everyone knows what they bring to the table and what they can do and what that looks like for them, you get, um, you know, people knowing why they're going to do it. You know, that term's used so much. You know, that's another book that, you know, the Brené Brown writes. Uh, Poe gave me um, one of her books um, quite a while ago and she's all about being vulnerable and, um, you know, your, your why and it's, it's Simon Sinek and guys like that who, you know, why are you doing things? And so why, why a player would um, go and run up that hill as hard as he can you know that it's not easy to do it's not easy to turn up at training and do contact just after you've been smashed on the weekend like these things are hard so why are you going to do that and it's around having a a a team um you know principles i guess um that people can buy into that the team can buy into every day and they come in and regardless of how they're feeling can can try and reach can can go for that stuff almost like company values in in a, exact, in a larger exact entity. same yeah yep. and um and what about resilience and particularly in the world that we're in right now and you know there's a lot of talk about you know we're all feeling like we're cooped up and and the, there's the mental health uh issue as well um where does resilience come into uh, a team environment how important is that in your leadership uh, yeah, resilience is is massive, right? Like for for our game, um, you win or you lose, and um, you could have a great win one week, you lose the next week, you feel like crap. And so we're actually quite used to an environment that can be amazing or quite. So we're used to you know being in that sort of environment. Um, how you bounce out of both is really important because you know I I don't know if if, uh, Michael Jordan said this or someone else or he stole or whatever I've just got my quotes completely mixed up but you sleep on a sleep on a win you wake up with a loss right so you everyone's been a part of something that's just gone awesome one week and then you get beaten when you shouldn't the next week and that's not what you you're you're aiming to you know make small incremental growths each week Um, So the resilience to do that is sometimes harder than bouncing back from a loss because you bounce back from a loss, you come in super motivated. We we all come in fired up, ready to go, what do I need to do to make this turn around? And you get it. But then to the the mark of and why, you know, you got to take your hat off to teams that have been so successful over the years that are able to do it because when you win, getting another win and then another win and then getting five in a row and then winning a championship, like that's tough. That's and you know eventually only one team does it, which I guess brings us to the discussion about um, the immediate future of Australian rugby and and you know you as as national captain, um, perhaps the biggest name in the game in Australia right now. What's your uh, vision of the future of rugby in this country? My vision is forever changing, like everyone's vision is. I think at the moment to put my finger on exactly what that would look like, I think would be silly because we don't know what the next three months could look like, let alone six months, let alone what's twenty twenty one could look like. Um, yeah, fingers crossed that you know this this um, thing we're experiencing at the moment can can go away <laughs> um, quicker than seems what it what it came about, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. 
um, you know, and people can stay healthy and, and stay positive and, you know, um, but, you know, we want to be back on the field in whatever capacity that can be in the next next little bit of time, um, how we can do that, what that's going to look like, we just don't know. Um, so we're, like everyone else at the moment, we're sitting and waiting and running up hills by ourselves in isolation, waiting for the, the time that um, the government and the health health crew go, yep, you guys can get back out there on the park or at least go into training. We're not even training. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not even talking lineouts or talking scrums. We're literally just running and it's... Um, you know, so I don't know what it's going to look like, um, nor nor do many. Well, fans of uh, of all codes want to see their heroes back on the field. I think as as soon as possible, and certainly for people who love the game of rugby, they want to see you and your mates back out there as soon as possible as well. Thanks for your time today, uh, and and for being so candid, and uh, and it's really just good to sit and and listen to you in a, a relaxed fashion, and it's it's good to see Michael Hooper. Thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. Thank you very much. Cheers. Michael Hooper on the Playmakers Playbook this week and you get a sense there of the uncertainty Australia's professional players are feeling just like everyone in the community right now. What do their jobs and careers look like in the weeks and months and years to come? It is a common question. Michael's closing in on 150 games of Super Rugby and the next time he pulls on a Wallaby jersey, it'll be for his 100th Test match. Sooner rather than later, we hope. The Playmakers Playbook is available wherever you get your favourite podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify and Deezer. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, give us a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend. Look forward to your company next week on the Playmakers Playbook. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.